We begin our summer series today on prayer. We're going to be looking at prayer over the whole summer, and we're going to look today at the words of our Lord recorded in Luke 11, 1 through 4. Before we get in the text, I want to share by way of introduction just a small little insert from Tim Keller's book on prayer. I thought with uh, the passing, his passing, he's now with the Lord this week. This might be a fitting way to remember him and his legacy. He writes this, In the fall of 1999, I taught a Bible study course on the Psalms. It became clear to me that I was barely scratching the surface of what the Bible commanded and promised regarding prayer. Then came the dark weeks in New York after 9-11, when our whole city sank into a kind of corporate clinical depression, even as it rallied. For my family, the shadow was intensified as my wife, Kathy, struggled with the effects of Crohn's disease, and finally I was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. At one point during all this, my wife urged me to do something with her we had never been able to muster the self-discipline to do regularly. She asked me to pray with her every single night. Every night. She used an illustration that crystallized her feelings very well. As we remember it, she said something like this. Imagine, if you will, you were diagnosed with such a lethal condition that the doctor told you that you would die within hours unless you took a particular medicine, a pill, every night before going to sleep. Imagine that you were told that you could never miss it or you would die. Would you forget? Would you not get around to it some nights? No, it would be so crucial that you wouldn't forget. You would never miss. Well, if we don't pray together to God, we're not going to make it because of all that we're facing. I'm certainly not. We have to pray. We can't just let it slip our minds. Would you forget to take such a pill? Such a vital pill? And yet I wonder, does prayer ever slip your mind? When was the last time you prayed with your spouse or with your kids? We're so easily preoccupied. We're too busy. We're too idle. Sometimes we're just plain unwilling. Maybe you've given up prayer altogether most days. Maybe that was something you used to do, but, you know, does it really do anything anyways? You've read stories, sure. You've heard stories, countless, of, of these great prayer warriors. They've come to God. They've come boldly and they've asked and they've received. But that's never happened to you. In fact, when, when you pray, it feels like you're talking to a wall. Is anyone there? Or maybe you prayed and you prayed and you prayed and that loved one you love so much, they still died. Or the diagnosis was still bad or the call for that job never came. And so you gave up. Wherever you are today, my prayer is that over the next few months, you would find so much joy and so much comfort and maybe even a newfound excitement in talking with the Lord. And my prayer is that you will be encouraged in your prayer life, whether you're a novice or whether you're an old time expert in prayer, a prayer warrior. May God bless the preaching of his word. Well, this won't happen unless we do pray. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to do that. Holy Spirit, we are so dependent upon you. As we prayed earlier, would you till the soil of our hearts that we might receive this with joy and ultimately that we would leave this place seeing the face of our blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, move. Because if you don't move, nothing will happen. Work a miracle in our hearts. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. 
Now read with me if you will. Let's read Luke 11, 1 through 4. We've sang about it. We've prayed it together. Now let's read it. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. Now, if you're a longtime Lord's Prayer prayer, you might say, well, wait a second. We left out some important parts. But what we just read is what's recorded in Luke. And there's a similar passage in Matthew. This is uh, during the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew 5. And then in Matthew 6, 5, Jesus begins the, the introduction on prayer. And he gives the more fuller version, the, the fuller account, which we are used to. And he emphasizes in that portion that prayer is not to be done for public accolades. It's not to be done like the pagans with babbling or repetitious mutterings and unintelligible speech. The Lord doesn't care about the eloquence of it. You know, he, he, wants, he wants our hearts in prayer. And so we don't need to babble and, and be like the pagans. And so our passage today in Luke is in a different context. This is one of Jesus' disciples, and he's seen Jesus just praying. And he's seen John the Baptist, how he taught his disciples to pray. And he comes to Jesus and says, we want that from you. That's just a bit of context. So you don't go, wait a minute. You left some stuff out. That's two different teachings on prayer, just a fuller emphasis. But it also reminds us that, that this model prayer, which so many people have, have used and taken and we've prayed it and countless number of times. It's not to be something that we just pray like some repetitious mantra and we just say it, you know. It's to, to be made our own. It's, it's the prayer of a child to a father. And so I want to encourage you and invite you to, to take the Lord's Prayer. Take that model and, and make it your own. Make it your, your own life in that as you pray. I see four areas from the little text today of, of note as we begin our discussion of prayer. All of these deal with both the practice and the prospect of prayer. The first point is this. The prayer life of Jesus instructs our prayer life. The second point is the doctrine of God shapes our prayer life. The third point is the proclamation of who Jesus is strengthens our prayer life. And the fourth and final point is that the prayer life of the saints encourages us in our prayer life. So if you're a note taker, instructs, shapes, strengthens, encourages. That's, that's our format. Listen again to verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. As you read the Gospels, you are taken aback by just the the sheer multitude of times that Jesus is said to be praying. Jesus was a man devoted to prayer, and, and we're always quick to defend the deity of Christ, which we absolutely should be. But we must never neglect the fact that he is the God-man. Fully God, fully man. And as a, a man, a real man, in the gospel, we see that Jesus relies time and time again on prayer, communion with his Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit, just as we do. Jesus valued prayer. He elevated the importance of it for all of us. And so when 
The disciple comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, teach us to pray. That's our request. That's our request. What We read the Gospels and we say, Lord, answer that for us. Answer that question for us. And it can only be answered by looking at Jesus himself. At looking at the person and work of Christ. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16-18, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Well, how do you do that? How do you rejoice always? How do you pray without ceasing? How do you give thanks in all circumstances? That's really an impossible task on your own, isn't it? Unless your identity is found in Christ alone. So as we come to the subject of prayer, we must first come to the feet of the master of prayer. Again, the disciples' request is our request. Jesus' teaching is a teaching for all of us as well. Lord, teach us to pray. The second thing to notice is that they don't come to Jesus. They don't say, Lord, teach us how to pray, but simply teach us to pray. You see, everyone really knows how to pray. They may not do it well. They may not be you know, the right words or the right reverence, but everyone can call for help. Children, atheists, they all know how to dial 911. And so they come to the Lord, they, they know how to pray. And so it's not so much the how, that's important, but it's the practice of it that they want. It's as if they're saying, Lord, we've seen your life and the power of it. It's marked by prayer. We've seen you spend countless hours speaking with the Lord, speaking with God, your Father, and we want that. We want the desire, the motivation, the passion for prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. That's our request, isn't it? I very much want all of you to know how to pray, but I'm more concerned that you actually do pray. I want you to pray. And it's also in this request that we find the true posture of prayer is humility. Lord, teach us because we don't know. Lord, teach us because we have a prayer problem. Jesus, it's not that we don't always know what to say. It's simply that we we don't say it. We're lazy. Teach us to pray. By your example, by your life, by your love, By your glorious gospel, Lord Jesus, teach us to pray. Would you give us a heart, a desire, a passion to commune with the God of Abraham and Isaac and of Jacob? Jesus, if you don't teach us, we'll never learn. We'll never know. We'll never never be the person of prayer until we recognize our utter lack and our utter need before Christ. Lord, teach us to pray. Andrew Murray, he wrote one of, one of the, uh, arguably one of the greatest books of all time on prayer, With Christ in the School of Prayer. And he describes prayer like this. He says, It is fellowship with the unseen and the most holy one. The powers of the eternal world have been placed at its disposal. It is the very essence of true religion, the channel of all blessings, the secret of power and of life, not only for ourselves, but for others, for the church, for the world. It is to prayer that God has given the right to take hold of him and his own strength. It is on prayer that he promises, wait for their fulfillment, the kingdom for its coming, the glory of God for its full revelation. 
and for this blessed work, how slothful and unfit we are. It is only the Spirit of God that can enable us to do it aright. You see, if Jesus valued prayer and our desire is to be like Christ, then by God's grace, teach us to pray. How? How? What does the text say? You see, this isn't mysticism. This isn't, uh, you know, go on a spirit walk. This isn't, the word, it, the word is teach. You must be taught to pray. You must be taught how to pray rightly. And the best way to learn is by doing it. That's the best way to learn. If you want to enter the schoolhouse of Christ, then come to him and make this request. Fall at his feet and say, Lord, teach me to pray. He must increase in all things and we must decrease. Someone once said, it's easier to fill an empty glass than a full one. And so we say, Lord, empty us. Fill us with you. Teach us to pray. Secondly, the doctrine of God has to shape our prayers. Who God is. Listen to verses 2 through 3. And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. I just read an article on May 4th from a website called Christian Headlines. So you know it's good. It's going to be a great headline. 61% of Americans pray poll shows. Wow. You read that at 61%? This is amazing. That's better than I thought. Well, then you read the article. A total of 85% Americans perform some kind of spiritual practice to connect with a higher power, such as prayer, meditation, spiritually based yoga, a news release said. Oh. Nearly 8 in 10 Americans consider themselves to be religious or spiritual, according to this survey. Okay, well, things are looking a little, <laughs> a little worse, but it continues on. Pr- people are praying in a variety of ways and in unexpected places throughout their days. They're frequently exploring their spiritual side and using prayer to work through adversity, find meaning, and create connection again with this higher power. Now, who that higher power is, the article doesn't tell us. It could be God. It could be the universe. But in our small little conservative Bible Belt town, I like to constantly point out we have four or five witchcraft shops that have popped up out of the blue. And I'm sure if I went in there and I asked them, do you guys pray? Of course we, of course we pray. We're spiritual people. Oh, wonderful. Wonderful news. If you apply the statistics of that poll, it means Americans spend 3.6 billion minutes each day praying to a so-called higher power. How many of those minutes are wasted? How many minutes of their life is wasted praying to the void? Praying to anything or anyone other than Jehovah God is a tremendous waste of their time. And it makes me weep for them. The universe cannot hear them. When I went over to London, I went to Hindu temples. And they have these little idols and these little statues that they made. And they put their little, like a little tea party. They put their little drink and their little food. And they go, here you go, Ganesh. You want to you have some food, some tea party? No, okay. All right, we'll take it home. 
You're not hungry today. They cannot hear them. And they pray to them. What about the saints? Should we be praying to the saints? They can't hear us either. And if Mary knew that all these people were praying to her, she would be furious. Are you stuck in traffic? Maybe Baal. Maybe Baal's the answer. Baal, could you move these cars? Oh, you're not here today. Are you using the restroom? You on vacation, Baal? Okay, we'll call back later. Muslims fall to their knees five times a day to pray to a God who cannot hear them. Crystals, tarot cards, astrological calendars, it's worthless. And if that doesn't break your heart, how much wasted time and energy, all because they're looking for love, for forgiveness, that only the one living and true God can give them. He hears. He hears your prayers and he, he answers our prayers. First Timothy 2, 5, For there's one God, one God, and there's one mediator between God and men, and that's the man, Christ Jesus. And when we come to Jesus and we say, Jesus, teach us to pray, you know what he says? Here's the remarkable thing. When you come before the Holy One of Israel, call Him Father. Is that, is that not too much? Is that really not too wonderful for you to comprehend, for you to take in? If Jesus had said, when you come, say, our Master. When you come before God, say, our King. He would be justified. Both those things are true, but he doesn't say it. He says, through me, you come and you call God Father. And so you take your doctrine of God and you say omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, eternal, unchangeable. He dwells in unapproachable light and all the angels keep silent. And yet you, as a child of the king, are invited in. And you say, yep, Father. My Father is in heaven. He's the King. My Father and His name must be hallowed. And if that doesn't inspire you, how do you come to God in prayer? With a holy reverence. With a holy fear. You come with trembling before the King. And if you don't do that, your doctrine of God is flawed. John Knox, the Scottish reformer, he said, I've never once feared the devil, but I tremble every time I enter the pulpit. You see, he's holy, holy, holy. And so we pray, Father, hallowed be your name. And then we pray this audacious prayer, your kingdom come. Father, we want your kingdom to come. How does it happen? It's it's absurd. Through good news, the kingdom comes. Through the proclamation of the gospel. Every single time a soul is captured for Christ, that kingdom advances. And ever since Jesus has left, ever since the Holy Spirit broke forth, that kingdom has been advancing and advancing and advancing to every corner of the globe. And we're still sending people to do it. Christ is victorious. That's our message. 
He has done it. It is finished in Christ. And we pray and strongholds are torn down. Nations bow the knee to Christ. Hallowing of God's name is done from sea to shining sea. Father, your kingdom come. Not my kingdom. Not my kingdom. Not your kingdom. His kingdom. And Father, would it advance through the foolishness of preaching. In our passage in Luke, right below this Jesus He hammers home just this beautiful emphasis on on the fatherhood of God. He says this, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give a fish of a fish a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So go ask Him. So go ask Him. You see, I love it when my kids come to me and they ask me for things. When they ask me for help, I get great joy when I, you know, I stretch forth my hand and I grab the cereal box from the top of the fridge. And they, oh, You see, only daddies are tall enough for such a task. You know, I wonder how lightning works, my son will say. Well, dads are experts in lightning, how lightning works. You know, go to the light, you know, easy. Dad, could you help me get my shoes on? I majored in getting shoes on. Come here. They don't bother me. I love it. And Jesus says, your father likes to be asked as well. Would you go to him? Would you go to him in prayer? Would you ask? He won't give you a scorpion. It's, it's silly. A scorpion? A snake? Of course not. He's a good God. He's a good father. You have the opportunity. You have the privilege to run to the creator of the universe as your father. Romans eight fifteen. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You have received the spirit of adoption as sons... By whom we cry, what? Abba, Father. You're not slaves. You're sons. You're you're daughters of the King. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so your knowledge of the doctrine of God, of who God is, and who you are now in Christ, must shape the way you approach God in prayer. That leads to our third point. The proclamation of who Jesus is will now strengthen your prayers, right? We now approach the throne of grace with confidence. Verse 4. Forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Imagine, if you will, you come home, for those of you with kids, you come home and there's a random teenager... And he's got the fridge open, he's got the pantry open, he's looking for food. Now this could be some TikTok thing, you know, some TikTok challenge. Could be some nefarious thing, but either way, you're yelling. And you're saying, get out of here, who are you, what are you doing? Maybe the police are called. Now imagine that same scene. You come in, the pantry's open, the fridge's open, you know how kids are. But this time, your your child's with that stranger, your son or your daughter. What's your response? Well, who's this? 
How could, can I get some bagel bites for you kids? You know, could I get some Sunny D? You know, you turn into like a 90s commercial. But you're part of the family. Can you stay the night? What's the difference? Your child's with them. And because your child is with them, they're welcomed into the family. Well, who's Jesus? <laughs> Who is Jesus? The God-man, yes. The divine Logos, the word of God, yes, amen. The perfect spotless lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Only he, yes, truly. He's the son of God. And because he's all of that and more, the proclamation of who he is and who we are hidden now in Christ forever, adopted, justified, redeemed, being sanctified, that should strengthen our prayers before God. You see, we have the child with us. The Son of God is with us. And God has promised that He will only ever forgive sins in Christ. We will only ever forgive others when we look to Christ and the forgiveness that He's poured out upon us. We come to the Father only ever in prayer with Jesus right by our side. We come to Him through the mediation of the Son. There's only one name under heaven, by which men and women can be saved. How could you ever doubt that your prayers might be heard when Jesus is there with you? How could you ever doubt that God might answer your prayers when Christ is right there with you? The good news of Jesus ensures that not only will you be heard in prayer, but that God has promised as your Father, He will delight in you. When you come, there's an author who I love, Chad Bird. He writes this Even when we hand a mud pie of prayer to our Father, He accepts it like a real piece of delectable dessert. He does so because all our petitions pass from our mouth into Christ's ear and out of Christ's mouth into the ear of the Father. Our voice in prayer is the voice of Jesus. And he's majestic. Jesus is excellent and beautiful and all praiseworthy and glorious. And the difference between him and us is not merely quantitative, but so far removed, so qualitative and in, in, in difference. And then he calls us his friends. He calls us his beloved. He loves sinners. He, he dies for sinners. He saves sinners. He invites sinners. That's good news. How can I teach you to pray? How can I, how can I get up here and teach you to pray? It's, it's simple. I'm convinced it's extremely simple. And so I get up here week after week, and all I do is I say, here's Jesus. He is sufficient and if you will come hungry and thirsty, Scripture has promised that you will find him. If you will come, as the Greeks did, and say, Sir, we would see Jesus. The Holy Spirit says, Here he is. Look at him. Would you look at him? Would you come to him? Would you fall at his knees and worship? I want to linger here just really quickly as we, as we close up here. The threefold office of Christ is so important. The Westminster Shorter Catechism 24 
says that Jesus is the prophet. And he executes his office of prophet in, in revealing to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our own salvation. We know that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so if you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He's the great living and breathing revelation of God's love for you, for the elect. And this is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through preaching, through teaching, through the reading of the word, and yes, through prayer. Secondly, he's the king. Westminster Shorter Catechism 26, he says he executes the office of king by subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in in restraining and conquering all his and our enemies. And so we say Christ is Lord. And that's a political statement. His kingdom come, his will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That's political. Prayer is therefore kingdom work. We want his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So what do we do? We pray for our enemies. We pray for nations. We pray for rulers. We pray for justice to roll down in Christ. Lord, subdue wickedness. Restrain wickedness by your law. Forgive us our sins as we forgive our debtors. And finally, he's the priest. He's the great high priest. Hebrews is all about this. Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Final Andrew Murray quote. I'm going to be quoting him a lot over the next couple weeks, but he says this. It's so good. None can teach like Jesus. None but Jesus. Therefore, we call on him. Lord, teach us to pray. It is Jesus praying himself who teaches us how to pray. He knows what prayer is. He learned it amid the trials and the tears of his earthly life. In heaven, it is still his beloved work. His life there is prayer. Nothing delights him more than to find those whom he can take with him into his Father's presence, whom he can clothe with power to pray down God's blessings on those around them, whom he can train to be his fellow workers in the intercession by which the kingdom is to be revealed on earth. Have you ever considered that thought? That when we go before the Lord in prayer, when we call upon the name of Christ, Jesus says, come into my prayer life. I'm I'm praying for you now. I'm interceding for you now. Your prayers will be heard through me. When the saints gather together, when we pray in the name of Christ, we're not trying to change God. We cannot change God. He's unchangeable. Instead, we come to him and we say, God, change us. Change us. Prayer is a fire. It's the refiner's fire by which he hammers and shapes and molds us into the image of Christ. And just like a child learns speech from his mother and his father, we learn speech from our father by being in prayer, by being in his word. And the more you read, the more you pray, you start to sound like Jesus. And that's just inevitable. That's inevitable because the Holy Spirit is working in your heart. The final point, final point, we're going to close up. The prayers of the saints encourage our prayers. I want you to consider today 
That prayer we prayed, the Lord's Prayer, how many times do you think, if you had to hazard a guess, how many times have the saints prayed that prayer? Millions? Billions of times? 2,000 years of brothers and sisters in Christ all reciting the Lord's Prayer. How many congregations this morning prayed with us for God's kingdom to come, for His name to be hallowed? It's beautiful. Oh, isn't, isn't the church beautiful? Isn't that glorious? The union we share, the bond, we, we're so diverse, we're so unique, and yet we come together and we have one banner, Christ. And we pray this prayer, our Father, our Father, brothers and sisters, our Father. The leaders in the Clapham sect of the British social reformers, these were people like William Wilberforce who were working together to pray and to uh, end slavery over in Britain, they would give themselves to three hours of prayer each day. And they would organize Christians throughout the country to unite with them in prayer. Before a critical debate in Parliament, they would say, pray, we need people praying. Let's pray, let's go before the Lord. And one of those men, William Temple, replied to his critics. These were men who regarded prayer. They said, well, it's just coincidence. It's just coincidence. And William Temple said, when I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. And isn't that what you found to be true? That when you pray, coincidences just happen? After I've prayed for someone or something, and they, you know, is that just coincidence? Is that just chance? In the words of the late, great R.C. Sproul, no chance. (laughs) You see, God hears the prayers of his people. He hears the prayers of the saints. Abraham prayed for a son and Isaac came. Isaac prayed for Rebekah to have a son and here came Jacob. Moses prayed for God to raise up a leader. Here came Joshua. The Israelites prayed for deliverance. Here came the judges. Hannah prayed for a child. God sent Samuel. David was a man of prayer all his life. Solomon prayed for wisdom and he got it. Hezekiah prayed. He said, Lord, heal me. God said, here's 15 extra years. Elijah was a man just like us. James 5, 17 And Elijah said, no rain. And the whole hydrological cycle said, we can do that. In John 17, our Lord prays for us. High priestly prayer. He he says in that verse 20 through 21, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. And I smile when I read that because my face was in the mind of Christ when he prayed those words. And if you are in Christ today, your face, 2,000 years ago, Christ, his priestly intercession was already working was already working for your present good. Even more so, the elect, the Bible says, were chosen before the foundation of the world in Christ. He prayed for us. He continues to pray and intercede for us even now. Lord, lead us not to temptation. Lord Jesus, deliver us from the evil one. Thanks be to God, he will. Do you know Jesus? Do you know my Jesus? (laughs) Do you know this blessed friend I've talked about today, this Savior that I love? He's the great friend of sinners. The Bible says he's the lover of your soul. And he died 
that you might live. That your sins might be cast as far as the east is from the west, might be remembered no more. And Jesus says, your life is so precious to me that I gave my own. And so I'm asking you today to stop wasting your life. Don't pray to the void. Pray to the one who is able to hear and answer. Pray to the one who invites you to call him father. Call out to him. He will answer. Let the life of Jesus inform you. The doctrine of God shape you. The proclamation of who Jesus is strengthen you and let the prayers of the saints, all of us here, your brothers and sisters, let that encourage you. I close with God's word, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Lord, teach us to pray.